Welcome to the West London COP26 podcast. Broadcast from Glasgow via VentureX White City's podcast studio. Insights, best practice and actions for your business. Good morning. I'm Andrew Dakers, CEO of West London Business. Welcome to the fourth and final of our podcasts from COP26. COP26 is the most significant global climate conference since Paris in 2015, and national representatives have come together in Glasgow for two weeks against a backdrop of the starkest warnings yet from scientists of the prospects of climate chaos if carbon emissions are not rapidly curbed. West London Business is a COP observer organisation, which means our delegation, made up of business leaders and some public sector partners, are at the heart of the conference in the Blue Zone, where the international negotiations take place. Our extensive work on climate change is rooted in WLB members' commitment to catalyse action for people and planet. Over the next 25 minutes, I'm looking forward to hearing from a few of our delegates, as well as some special guests, who will give you a flavour of the atmosphere at the heart of the summit, now entering its final hours of negotiations, as well as sharing some favourite case studies and opportunities for action in your business. My guests are WLB delegation members, Phil Davies, co-founder of Magway, Mark Jenkinson, director of Crystal Associates and chair of um, LCCI's Environment, Sustainability and Green Growth Initiative, um, and Paul Vick, um, Paul Vick Architects, as well as special guest, Mayor Philip Glanville of Hackney, um, who's also chair of London Council's Transport and Environment Committee. We'll be giving the last word to WLB's Amelia Grant, who's been coordinating our delegation on the ground in, in Glasgow over the past two weeks, and probably needs a spa weekend at this point to recover. Net zero number of the day. To get the cogs turning, uh, we always have a bit of a numbers challenge for our guests at the top of the programme. I hope you've managed to get some strong coffee in um, on your way uh, in this, this morning. Um, so your, your numbers challenge, um, COP26 day 11, um, focused on cities, regions and the built environment, which are going to play a pivotal part in keeping 1.5 degrees alive. Um, we live in an increasingly urbanised world and currently um, more than 50% of the world's population um, live in cities. Um, in London, um, we've of course recently seen the, the ULEZ expanded um, to reduce uh, air pollution across the capital. And in West London, of course, this meant the zone um, reaching the north and south spring roads. Um, for the net zero number of the day, we're asking you, um, since the ULEZ has been implemented, what percentage of vehicles operating in the zone um, do you think now meet or exceed um, the emissions standard? Um, so your option A is 55%, option B, 65%, and option C, um, 77%. Now, um, I'm going to turn, um, first of all, to, to Paul um, for your, your guess on which of those is the, is the right answer. Well, I, th I think my guess, I think, will actually be the, the middle one. I think we've had some, yeah, some warning of this for some time. So I, I, I think it will be more than half. Um, You're um, reckoning we're at 65% right now. Uh, Mark, your, your best guess? Uh, probably go for the same. I guess we're including taxes and stuff. But uh, this isn't fair because Phil's uh, <laughs> the whole of Hackney's in the US. This is not fair. Well, I, th I thought I'd come deliberately come to Phil, Phil at last. Uh, what, what, what's your best guess? I might go A just to be different. Um, we had bits of Hackney in the ULEZ to start with, but it's only the expansion that all of Hackney's in. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go A. 
You're, you're clearly a bunch of bunch of pessimists with me this morning. It was actually C, seventy-seven percent, um, is the right answer. Um, as uh, now seventy-seven percent of vehicles meeting the ULAS um, standards, um, which I think clearly shows the extent to which businesses and households with the right incentives um, will take measures to uh, ensure com compliance. Um, the introduction of the congestion charge um, many years ago now um, led to a thirty percent decrease in in traffic, um, and the ULAS. Um, is reckoned uh, to reduce this by a further 5%. So some environmental good news for you there. Cop catch-up. So what's been agreed thus far uh, on trees and deforestation, leaders from more than 100 world um, countries representing about 85 percent of the world's forests um, promised to stop deforestation by 2030. On methane, um, a scheme to cut 30 percent of current methane emissions by 2030 has been agreed by more than 100 countries. On coal, more than 40 countries uh, agreed um, a shift away. Um, and on the money, some 450 financial organisations, between them controlling 130 trillion of assets, um, agreed to black clean technology um, from renewables um, through to moving finance away from fossil fuel burning industries. But what's happening in the negotiation um, rooms? Well, at the start of the second week of the Glasgow um, climate change conference, um, we saw um, a smart shift um, to the political phase of the conference um, with draft decision texts and key negotiations um, now moving into the hands of the COP26 presidency um, and country's ministers. Since then, three tracks of work have been established. Negotiations are taking place um, in the form of um, firstly technical talks, um, which are led by um, the UNFCCC subsidiary body chairs. Um, secondly, consultations being facilitated by ministers, and a third stream, um, which is presidency-led consultations. Most of these discussions are closed to observers, and, and parties um, also meet bilaterally um, behind closed doors. However, there are regular updates on the development of work um, provided through um, what are known as informal stocktake plenaries, um, which are open to all observers, um, and uh, we have the opportunity to um, engage through these with um, parties on different occasions. As the talks enter um, the final scheduled 24 hours, they may of course run in um, into the weekend. Um, here are a few um, key areas of note. First of all, we have the COP26 so-called cover um, decision, um, which uh, brings together a number of different um, threads of the, um, of the negotiations and different parts of the um, United Nations um, machinery. Um, and and th this Hubbard decision tries to capture the overall messages um, from the conference, including um, on the key pillars of mitigation, adaptation um, and finance. Several countries um, have been calling um, for stronger language um, on, on ambition, clearer targets across these pillars um, and a set timeline um, for what are referred to as nationally determined contributions, whilst other countries would like to see less ambitious um, language. Um, there's a major concern um, that essential references to human rights and the rights of indigenous peoples um, may be dropped in order to secure a final deal um, in the coming hours. The business and industries constituency, of which West London Business is a part, together with other civil society groups, issued a joint letter um, to the COP26 presidency 
reiterating from our perspective the importance of keeping strong references to human rights um, in the decision texts. Um, on Article 6, there were new draft texts um, issued on Thursday morning. Um, the ministerial discussions under Article 6 are led by Norway and Singapore. Um, and we've heard that parties um, are unequivocally um, agreeing um, on the importance to conclude this um, item um, this week, rather than letting it pass on to um, the COP27 summit. The atmosphere seems to be generally positive, um, with clear landing zones emerging, um, and some parties are showing more flexibility um, to uh, find um, the common ground needed. Um, however, um, crucial issues on corresponding adjustments and avoidance of double counting and sharing of pr proceeds um, remain in the balance in these talks. The business and industry constituency intervened on several occasions and expressed our view in dialogue with lead negotiators and political leaders, including um, the UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson, um, that it is critically important that there is a robust and workable rulebook to operationalise um, Article 6. There's also been a, a strand of discussion around an enhanced transparency framework, um, with parties making some important steps forward in this area of transparency in the past few days. While some issues remain unresolved, um, particularly around the sequencing of decisions and outcomes, um, such as um, key agenda items and links to key agenda items, um, such as the goal on climate finance and Article 6. Um, however, there does seem to be clear consensus um, on the importance of an enhanced transparency framework to support the implementation um, of the Paris Agreement. Um, and on finance, um, new draft texts were published on Thursday morning. Um, negotiators have been trying hard for some days to identify proposals that could bridge the deep divisions between developed and developing countries um, with regard to, to finance matters, um, including that critical 100 billion um, US dollars, um, an annual goal um, for scaled up um, adaption um, to finance. During yesterday's stock taking plenary, um, there was uh, an interesting announcement from the Maldives and Spain um, that have reached um, agreement to um, establish a two-year work programme um, on a global goal for adaptation, um, working with um, key UN subsidiary bodies. Um, and of course, Wednesday um, saw a major commitment um, from the two biggest emitting countries, um, US and China, producing a joint declaration to work together to ramp up um, their climate ambition um, this decade. Um, this announcement, of course, comes just um, hours before the end of um, the conference, um, and we hope sends a strong signal um, as, the, uh, as, as the summit reaches its conclusion that cooperation um, is the only choice we have for achieving 1.5 degrees. Now, I hope no one feels starved of detail um, from that, um, that update. Um, I was able to catch up um, with Phil Davies um, from Magway a little bit earlier this morning, um, and I asked him um, what he made of his week at COP. I've been in Glasgow for almost two weeks now, and it's been an absolute whirlwind of events and activities. The Glaswegians have been unbelievably welcoming, although I don't imagine they've ever seen so many police, and I'm sure they'll be glad when it's all over. The weather has been well ahead of my expectations. And I've seen an amazing amount of energy and a huge amount of goodwill. And, and what or who stood out for you particularly, um, Phil? The first quite sobering standout is the clear injustice that exists with the poorer nations in the global south 
who've contributed the least to this ecological disaster, suffering the most and least able to do anything about it. On a more positive note, I heard and spoke to some unbelievable people from senior politicians and business figures to climate activists, investors and other members of the public. There was definitely a feeling of coming together to fight this fight. What do you think will be the actions or learnings um, that you'll take back uh, and, and implement after spending this time in Glasgow? The size of the challenge means this has to be a collaborative effort. We're all in this together, but we have to act now. Delay and procrastination just are not options. Do you think COP26 uh, has been a success? Are you optimistic when you look back over the past two weeks? I think it's been an absolutely fantastic event. It's definitely moved the dial forward. The agreement to end deforestation by 2030 was definitely a highlight, but there's still a long way to go. What I want is greater action and unlimited ambition. Let's cut the blah, blah, blahs and reach for the stars. Thank you, Phil. Um, now, this has been a packed um, few weeks for our delegation, um, and delegates have been sort of dropping into different bits um, of the, the conference over the past two weeks. Um, I wonder, Mark, first of all, um, what you make of your um, first COP experience? Uh, well, it was... Uh, I'd say thank you, Andrew, for giving me the opportunity to actually attend, but... Just such a huge machine. It's, uh, I was amazed how many people and all, all the various states that were, that were there. And uh, I joined the two of the stock-taking sessions, uh, obviously chaired by the president, Alex Sharma. And uh, just the, the detail that they were going into and the level of uh, well, complexity that they have to deal with, it was just uh, kind of mind-boggling. Uh, but also what was good was the... Uh, in the blue zone, also the uh, the various events and presentations, and obviously Wednesday was Transport Day. And yesterday was, as you mentioned, Citizen Regions. So it was really good to hear from various city uh, um, metro mayors and, 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 and council leaders about their, their drive and focus on the Net Zero uh, initiative, and also clearly also all the the, uh, the clear desire from business to engage. So I think uh, you know it's, it was a positive experience. Clearly, there's a lot more to do, a big, big gap, and obviously a lot more work for the uh, politicians and the negotiators to do today. Uh, but uh, certainly, it was a, a, a really rewarding experience. So again, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to be involved. Well, it's been great to, to have you um, on, on on the ground, um, and, and I think you know the, this, you know the um, the observer process um, and the sort of I suppose additional transparency that provides the talks um, clearly. Um, really, um, really critical. You, you've flagged there the the, the role of, of mayors and, and I suppose city level action. I suppose on that note, keen to get your take, um, F Philip, on on you know what 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 you've seen of of COP and uh, whether you're you're le leaving today um, full of hope and optimism. I definitely live it, leaving with hope and optimism. I think at first you sort of thank I think the forbearance of the people of Glasgow for such a warm welcome because you, you see people from all over the world but actually i think the city's done an incredible job uh hosting us i often joke i'm, I'm the sort of wrong sort of mayor for the uh the, the, the blue zone um representing only a, ha a hackney 
uh, one of the London boroughs. And uh, I think what we've been doing at London Councils is probably animating uh, the fringe and the, the green zone and making sure that our voices are, are heard there. But obviously we saw Mayor of London uh, in there. And I think, I, I suppose on Cities and Regions Day, finally seeing the places that will have to implement these policies kind of front and centre, uh, I think absolutely vital. I think the call globally seems to be, and I was listening to colleagues from the UN last night at a reception at, at the city chambers, I think everybody's asking that the, that the powers and the money now flow through to the communities to allow the collaboration between business, the public sector and citizens to actually happen uh, on the ground, and I'm sure your members, the the better futures businesses that I know you want to talk about in a second. You know, it, it's all reliant on us being able to take the commitments that are made here uh, and and delivering them uh, on on the ground. Our sort of step in doing that is to come forward with our own ideas. The UK uh, Cities Climate Investment Commission has been completely set up to aggregate all the investment needs, uh, not just of London, but of course, this is across the UK and how government and private finance can help get us to net zero. And I think that's what I sort of take back, that we just have to, you know, redouble our efforts, make sure the business cards get get um, properly triaged and responded to. And we, we build on the commitments and the connections that we've uh, made here. Um, uh, I think that my last point might be that there's a danger the UK government thought that because they had all those announcements going into COP that the job was done. I think there's still a lot more we need to do about sort of finance and what's the next decade will look like and um, where, where the Chancellor needs to find those additional resources to get and lever all of those trillions into uh, net zero. And, and the commission that you mentioned obviously has done lots of work aggregating the, the green finance and investment opportunity in the, in the run-up um, to COP right the way um, across you know, London and, and, and other sort of core, core cities. Um, presumably that's to, to simplify the process of get, getting the free green finance to flow into infrastructure projects, but presumably you know, the, the Commission's report is, is stage one and there's now going to be quite a lot of hard graft to put the mechanisms in place for that to happen? Is that fair, fair to say, Philip? Yeah, I think definitely stage one. I think the important bit about stage one and the report and the commission is it had both business public sector and all the disciplines within public sector there. So I, I think if, if business listeners might sometimes struggle with how councils are organised, you know, they might meet a political leader or chief executive or someone from the planning team I think there's a, there's a real wish to make sure that we get ourselves investment ready, um, both as individual organisations, but through the Commission. The, the Commission then is seen as a leap, uh, leaping off point and the, uh, the sort of pathfinder um, uh, ideas to, the, to sort of incubate these ideas going forward is what we need funding for. Interestingly, while we made that a big pitch to government, it's actually business that have said we want this type of facility, we want this type of brokerage. And it may well be that some of those that are looking to finance net zero help come forward um, uh, earlier than perhaps government to make sure that that, that that interface is sort of funded and supported. That certainly echoes, I think, the sort of conversations that we've had across the investor community, was I suppose ultimately if you're an institutional investor with uh, with a, a portfolio of, of of billions that need to be um, need to be deployed, um, you you won't have the the infrastructure to 
you know engage at the level of projects you know valued at a million you need you need those brought brought together into into portfolios that you can uh, you can yeah, my, my, my good example of that is is I think EV infrastructure and it's a hackney example but I had some conversations in the innovation zone um, and and unless you have the sort of level of ambition we're going out in hackney for 3,000 EV charging points between now and 2030 the market takes notice of 3,000 um, investors take notice but also so the technological innovators take notice. And so I think we had over 80 businesses come forward with initial interest and, a, a, and over half of those then put in a tender. And that process is still ongoing and I'm not second guessing it. But people, you know, if you're coming forward with just the next 30 and you do that sort of process for each 30 and you do that in each London borough, then you don't get that sense of direction to a market. And we've done huge efforts across you know, business, London councils, the government and TfL um, to get us to where we've been on, on EV infrastructure uh, already but if we're to take that to the next step i think that's the level of ambition that we need to sort of set to get the investment flowing efficiency and scale absolutely critical now um paul can i bring you in um for uh, what what you've made of your uh, your time in in, in glasgow yes yeah. super to be here um in fact when i got off the bus i said to the bus person it's very warm here and she said it's actually yes it's like the mediterranean that said it all to me, really. It's not quite the Mediterranean. Oh, dear. And they were very friendly, as you'd expect. Um, yeah, I'm amazed. I've been in the green zone. Um, and what is absolutely fascinating about it is um, there is so much already going on and has been, actually, for quite a long time. Um, and it's... Yeah, and we're seeing pilot projects. I mean, as architects, you know, it's been said by Brundtland back in 87 that it was not going to be a technological issue. It's going to be a social and economic um, structure one to make it happen. Um, obvious, but at the same time, um, construction as an industry is, is actually lagging in some ways many other industries. Um, so it's really quite rewarding to see the BEIS supporting more research into say concrete and one of the statistics that came out was that concrete in itself if it were a nation in terms of carbon footprint it'd be the third in the world and we use a lot of it without thinking too hard about it so there are alternatives so that in itself is good to see that there is progress on i mean i think it's also worth pointing out that you know most 23 percent of greenhouse gas emissions come from buildings add into that the transport that's related to getting materials and the rest of the day is much higher and you know 80 percent of homes are still going to be there in 2050 um so th these are not small numbers that we're talking about within the fabric and the of the city um and yeah i, th I think what I mean, so many things are already going on. There was a, an example from other cities, and I love the way the cities and the mayors are talking to each other and trying to learn best practice. Um, so we, it was the CIC, Construction Industry Council, that I was involved in at the beginning. Um, then we had the Helen McCarthy Foundation who were talking about a sort of an underlying process of how you can sort of eliminate, circulate, and research. Thing, which is very close to the, you know, the London thing of, you know, reduce and reuse, recycle, all these sorts of things. Um, 
but they, they've seen a big change. And what's particularly interesting is they've identified, particularly in food, and I think there are parallels across all of our certain industries, particularly architecture and building, is they found that, um, you know, the whole, they found that I think it was like eight number, you know, um, uh, in uh, businesses were controlling like 40. So to go after that and then see their supply chains react to it, it is quite inspiring. And some of the Nestle have 500,000 farms that they're in direct contact with. Now you transfer that over to land. How do you catalyze these things, whether it's through philanthropy, whether it's through the private sector saying, look, if you don't do this now and make the most of your assets, you know, the existing assets, you're going to end up with stranded assets. So, you know, and why not be ahead of the game? And so there, there is a strong argument for particularly the long-term investors to get behind this. So the question then is, how do they do it? And that, that I think is the question really, as I see it. And, it, and it's possible. Um, of that statistic that I was giving you of 23% of greenhouse gases from buildings, so, uh, I think they were saying 17% of it, it relates to systems. And in the UK, we have the most inefficient housing stock in Europe. The opportunity, obviously, to put that right through the fabric and reduce the system's energy, you know, so that's how the heating demand works and all those sorts of things, um, you know, must be the long-term aim. And actually, as it turns out, that's the cheapest way in terms of material costs. So certainly and, 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 and as you as you leave COP, um, to, you know, to, today, Paul, and sort of head back to um, sort of conversations with your clients, so you're optimistic, are you optimistic that the, you know, the atmosphere and, and, and sort of appetite for change is, is shifting and, and that, uh, you know, clients are, are ready to, 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 to adopt some of the, the, the new modern methods of construction that will um, f facilitate that shift? Yes, I, I definitely think so. And I think they've already been asking this question. You know, the communication around COP has actually been pretty good, I would say. And there, the, the awareness is going up there. The importance of these issues are there. It's not a passing fad. Um, you know, the, the same questions do it, not just at a moral level, but how do we survive economically going forward? A part of the issue, obviously, but I think we're in a stronger position to say actually you should be investing in this future. Yeah, definitely, I'm very positive about it. And, and a question to all three of you: um, if you had to make predictions on what's going to unfold over the next few hours, and uh, we're then to strip away the inevitable um, sort of government uh, spin um, that uh, will, will be overlaid on top of uh, any uh, any sort of final um, agreement. Um, do, do you think it's going to be satisfactory or, or an awful lot more work to be done next year at, uh, at COP27? Um, Mark, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's going to be, well, either push it to next year or the year after, which whenever it, uh, it comes. So I think uh, obviously there are certain countries pushing, suggesting it should be uh, the next uh, revisit should be 2025. Uh, but uh, I think the, the success will be to at least to suggest coming back together again in a year or two uh, to to revisit so i think that's what's going to probably end up uh, as a result and uh, alex, Sh alex sharma said yesterday it's definitely going to finish on friday 
And then he said, and I do mean Friday, the 12th of November. <laughs> so, uh, so they're definitely going to finish today. Doesn't have the stamina for another week of, uh, of, of conversations. I mean, one of, the, one of the points of controversy, of course, this week, and it may be that uh, you've got some, some thoughts on this, uh, Mayor Glanville, is, is Global Witness um, sort of identified that there were some 500 delegates from the oil and gas um, sector. Um, does, is that cause for concern to you? Is that something you think that might need to be addressed in future summits? I think my understanding is that this this summit in Glasgow has been better than previous ones. I was talking to people that have been to previous COPs and they said there was always, uh, you know, you would have panels sponsored by the oil and gas industry and people would come in, take the seats and sort of leave from from campaigners and, and especially from the global south. And there's been sort of less of that. But that doesn't mean, obviously, behind the scenes that the influence of the industry uh, isn't isn't there. I'm also I'm a, a healthy hydrogen skeptic. I think when it comes to domestic heating, um, uh, and I think there's there's probably a bit of a rearguard action that you know transition involves fuels like blue hydrogen, especially, and that that's an attempt by that industry to kind of continue. Um, their extractive practices. So I, d I do think we have to be really clear where we need to get to on that. It's where a lot of the, the investment and discussion around stranded assets are. It's where the diverse pension funds movement is. And I know a lot of work has been happening um, around it. I'm pretty hopeful that in the terms of what we were hoping to get out of Glasgow uh, as, as UK local government, it has been a good cop. I think there's been some good leadership from UK government. I still think we're in just under two degrees though when you when you aggregate it all up and the agreements made i kind of i, I agree with with colleagues i, I don't think we're quite there uh, enshrining the kind of paris 1.5 more, more more work to be done on on, on your scorecard and, and paul what's your what's your take as to whether the summit might land um at the end of today um well I, I, you know i with a lot of hope i think i think the real pl plus point is that people are going to take away that there are ways to do this. It's whether we're prepared to do it. You know, or the press is sort of fragmented. It has the most immense energy problem, you know, and if their job is to create civil, you know, um, sort of the sense of stability, then they have to deal with that. So, that is not an easy option, and it's not an easy thing for them to do um, within their own economy. Um, and um, I don't think we should underestimate that, you know, that, that move. But, I, I, yeah, so I think it'll be vague. It'll be a might be in the well, morning, yeah. um, from those players. Um, yeah, but understood. So, may, so, may, so, may, so maybe that partnership agreement between the US and China um, one of the one of the, the, the summit's successes if that uh, keeps dialogue and collaboration um, moving in the right direction. Top cop goss. We spotted Baba Brinkman um, performing climate rap yesterday um, in the Blue Zone, but I think it was rather um, outdone by um, Nandy Bushell from Ipswich, who penned a climate change song after learning about the subject in school, um, which has been shared by Barack Obama. Um, the 11-year-old um, had already performed with Foo Fighters' Dave Grohl after publicly challenging him um, to a drum-off. Um, but she said it was incredible to have the former US president praise the song 
um, that she wrote with Roman Morello, um, son of Rage Against the Machine guitarist um, Tom Morello. Meanwhile, overnight, um, climate activists um, slashed the tyres on SUVs um, across Glasgow. Um, as one of our delegation noted, the Blue Zone cloakroom doesn't close until 3.30 a.m. Um, I imagine there could be some pretty cross and very tired delegates trying to conclude negotiations today if their SUVs were caught in this protest. London's Net Zero Heroes. In this part of the programme, um, we like to hear um, some practical stories of what's happening um, on the ground um, in our capital. Um, and we're going to hear, first of all, from Natalie Bayliss um, from Act for Ealing, um, who were exhibiting in the Green Zone yesterday um, when we got a chance to catch up with her. We are all about connecting the community of Ealing for a climate positive future. And so I think, you know, we all know there's lots of stuff going on at COP26 at the moment, which is where we are at the moment with all the noise in the background. Um, but it's not just about the governments agreeing these big um, uh, deals and agreements on a global scale. It's all about local action. and. In all these amazing areas and pockets around Ealing, there's some phenomenal people doing amazing stuff. And at Act for Ealing, what we want to do is bring all those people together to make sure that the beekeepers of one part of Ealing are talking to the gorilla gardeners of another part of Ealing. And they're all working together and amplifying and connecting and really creating as big a bang as possible. So our role at Act for Ealing is making sure that connection happens and then making sure that in Ealing everyone is realising the differences that they can make because it's all about every one of us making every day small actions that all add up to this you know much bigger more impactful um, result that will lead us to this net zero position which I think one thing that we've discovered with COP26 it's been a fantastic opportunity to learn and really see just how important this topic is to millions of people around the world. Um, but yeah, it's all about, for us at Act for Ealing, it's all about starting with our corner and making sure that everyone's doing their bit. Good. Um, what have you seen in the green zone that particularly caught your eye? I think the amazing thing about the green zone has been how there are so many people that are really interested in what everyone else is doing. And so it's sort of what we're doing in Acreeling, this connection and networking. It's actually a kind of little kind of mini version of what's actually happening in the big wide world where all these people who are doing these phenomenal things, because the exciting thing about, about green is it's new and it's emerging tech and that's what makes it so exciting. But people are all still in their little silos and aren't necessarily getting the chance, especially with COVID, to make the connections that, you know, that exist in kind of more established industries. So I think what I found amazing is this sort of meeting of minds and these solutions that are happening between people as they meet and learn what everyone's doing because it's such a fast-paced, evolving, exciting sphere that, you know, problems are being solved, new ideas are coming up and it's about kind of that meeting of minds and 
recognizing how best everyone can work together. There's a real energy here of everyone being really interested in what is going on. Um, and yeah, it's a bit of a kind of unleashing of people's kind of green efforts and green spirit, which, you know, is really energizing and something that kind of everybody should take a great deal of comfort from, that there are a lot of people working really hard and lots of really interesting solutions. Um, so who knows how the talks are going to come out from, from over there in the blue zone, but certainly in the green zone there's a really really exciting energy that um i think we're all going to leave here ready to sort of take on new challenges and and see where we can go next so for our second um sort of case study and uh, insight of the of the morning um i think we're going to hear a little bit from you mark around um an interesting um london-based um printing company called advanced uk and how they've been contributing to cop tell us more yeah, sure. And it's actually, you mentioned at the start that I'm kind of leading the London Chambers initiative on Net Zero, which obviously taking the learnings from the stuff you've been doing at Western Business. And uh, the Advanced UK are one of the, the one of the members, and they actually were approached by the organisers of COP, who said that we want to use your printing services, and we want to print X millions of pieces of paper. So they said, hey, 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 hold on a minute. Yeah. You know, this is COP, so you need to be able to reduce the amount of paper that you need. Clearly, obviously, all these draft reports, they're going to need to print off a lot, a lot of stuff. But what they did is they managed to reduce the amount of paper that they uh, need to print. But also, they used, have been used 170 refurbished printers across uh, the blue zone. And then the idea really is these, these printers, once COP is over, hopefully, uh, close the play today, uh, these uh, printers will go off to uh, schools and local charities. So uh, it's a you know advanced to actually work with their kind of partner uh, Xerox, but they're a small company, and uh, it just shows that uh, innovation uh, it comes in many forms. And clearly, this is something that I think the Better Futures uh, Group uh, and various companies there could possibly learn from and utilise uh, at, uh, for future cops and all the other similar kind of events. Uh, it's a fan fantastic um, case study, Mark, and, and great to hear that that level of detail has been gotten into in the in the planning of of COP. And it's also wonderful to hear from uh, Natalie and the Atfariling team. Race to zero. Amelia, in our first podcast, you introduced the Climate Essentials Tool, which uh, helps small to medium-sized businesses baseline their carbon footprint and plan their transition to net zero. In our second podcast, uh, we explored with you the quick wins that the move from buying so-called brown energy off-grid to green energy presents for many businesses. And in podcast three, um, Annika Bossenket um, brought things back to a personal level um, with a tool from Donation that can help us plan simple steps to reduce the carbon intensity um, of our lifestyles. I think this morning you're going to introduce us to green procurement, um, also known as responsible or sustainable sourcing. Um, and just to kind of unpack a bit why it's so vital um, for businesses um, in tackling um, their supply chain carbon footprint. So over to Amelia. Oh, yes. Good morning. Well, put simply, green or responsible procurement, uh, as it as it could be known, means choosing and purchasing products and services that cause minimal adverse environmental impacts. It's about making an active and conscious choice to find products and services that are made or delivered with the environment in mind. Sounds good. Um, but what, what does that actually mean? 
What it means is having a process in place so that anything your company purchases, whether it's products or services, is assessed against environmental and social criteria. If you're hiring a contractor or buying a service or setting up a pension scheme, it means checking that they are aligned with your company's sustainability policy and culture. For products, it could mean sourcing any that are made locally in ethical factories, where supply chain and production methods are transparent, or products that are durable and can be reused over and over again, widely recycled or made with a recycled content. For service-based suppliers, this could mean checks that they are adopting similar high standards to your own with regards to employee travel to work, whether they are sourcing green energy at home and the carbon emission figures from the suppliers they source from. So there's lot, lots, to, lots to be thinking about here. Um, how, how do we know that we can trust suppliers' claims? Yes, there has been much in the press recently around greenwashing, uh, and that is the practice of claiming environmental benefits or carbon neutrality, which cannot be backed up by fact um, uh, or proven. Uh, you may remember that Simon from BP Collins in our first COP26 podcast talked about the crackdown from the Advertising Standards Agency, and uh, he was... Um, basically saying that companies are now being held to account for those claims. And as a result, a few companies have had to remove their blanket claims from their advertising. In the business world, it will become increasingly important for companies to be able to show their customers what their carbon footprint is. This will affect SMEs as larger companies will need to report on their sustainability credentials, which includes their whole supply chain. And this is what is known as scope three emissions. A carbon calculation is the first step an SME can take to show that they are aware of their responsibilities, measuring and actively looking to reduce their emissions. And as you said, Andrew, in the first podcast, I introduced the Climate Essentials tool, which forms part of the free business support we are offering uh, as an easy way to start calculating a carbon footprint. And, and if we bring this back to, to London, uh, uh, so capital city, um, how is it going to affect um businesses here um, and, and, and what, what can they do about it uh, right now? So this, this may sound like it only affects large companies and large purchases, but, but SMEs need to pay attention too because the legislation will affect all businesses throughout the supply chain. If SMEs don't get ahead of it, they may see their market share shrink um, and could even be locked out of contracts if they don't meet increasing environmental criteria. And actually, it could even save you money to do so. Um, businesses can integrate a sustainable procurement policy, which outlines their requirements for suppliers and products and services. And this also helps communicate their commitments to new suppliers. Julie's Bicycle, for example, has a sustainable procurement guide, which might be a great place to start for advice on integrating environmental sustainability into business procurement policies. And don't forget, West London Business is supporting SMEs across the capital to get to net zero. We're helping SMEs through the delivery of a fully funded programme from the Mayor's Green New Deal, known as Better Futures Plus. And this is a blend of webinar tools, peer learning and one-to-one -one support that is available to help London meet their targets that have been set uh, in a manageable and easy to understand way, whilst ensuring that it doesn't cost the earth. And I urge any SME to apply for the assistance available, and you can do so 
at www.betterfutures.london. Amelia, thank you so much um, for joining um, me again this morning. Um, our time is up um, too soon, as as always. Um, thank you also to my other guests today, um, Phil Davies, co-founder of Magway, um, Mark Jenkinson, um, director of Crystal Associates, um, Paul Vick of Paul Vick um, Architects, um, and Mayor Philip Glanville of, of Hackney. Um, and as always, um, thank you also to my production team, um, Rowan, Barney and Joel here at uh, West London Business. Concluding the necessary global deal to avert looming climate crisis is a process that unfortunately seems likely to take a few more years and a few more COPs. Um, as a COP observer organisation, um, West London Business are committed to engaging in future conferences of the parties um, as part of the business and industries constituency. So listen out for news in the coming months on how we'll be positively influencing negotiations next year um, in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Today's podcast was produced by West London Business in partnership with VentureX White City. Visit www.betterfutures.london for London businesses seeking support on how to go green.